Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. Here for the first time this season on a victory Tuesday. That's the day that we're taping this podcast. After the Giants beat the Houston Texans 27-22 to the other day down in Houston, they became the team that avoided the 0-3 start. The Houston Texans, on the other hand, they're in for a mess of a season. They're 0-3, have some good players, but they are not a very good team. Regardless, a must-win for the Giants, and they come away with a positive result. Now, last week, they're 0-2, right? And some people come to me, oh, they're going to have a top-five pick. 3-13, and 13, they're awful. And yes, they look dreadful against the Dallas Cowboys the previous week, especially offensively. But I was like, eh, nah, they're still going to win some games. This isn't going to be a god-awful team. They still have Odell Beckham, and they still have Saquon Barkley. They're going to make enough big plays here and there. They're going to win some games. So the first one was on Sunday in Houston, a game where We'll talk about the good and the bad. We'll start with the good on this one. Eli Manning played his best game in a long time. I mean, let's be honest. Every Everything the Giants did offensively was positive in that first half. Overall, he goes 25 of 29, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 132.3 QB rating. A good, solid day for Eli Manning. Now, people might say, oh, they finally protected him. Look. I went and watched and broke down that game. To me, the difference wasn't that they protected him any different. He was still sacked four times. He was still under pressure, according to our ESPN says, 30.8%. 30, 30. That's not that different than the first two games of the season where he was under pressure 28% of the time. But he, what he was different was, A, they ran the ball effectively, and, B, they were getting the ball out in 2.41 seconds, which is tied for the fastest this week. So they were getting the ball out even quicker and to open receivers, which was huge. And you want to talk about good, Eli was great. But Pat Shermer also coached a heck of a game, especially in that first half and then on that final drive. Quick routes, guys getting open at the line of scrimmage. 2.41 seconds, by the way, was the time that it took from Eli getting the snap to throwing the ball. On average, on passing plays. The first three weeks, the first two weeks, sorry, it was 2.7 seconds. Now you might think, oh, 0.3 is not a lot. Yes, 0.3 is a lot when you're, when you're talking about that. You go, if, if he threw the ball in 2.7 seconds, that's, you know, close to middle of the pack, top 10 and slowest getting the ball out. 2.41 is a huge difference. And like I said, he was tied for the, for the fastest release this week and it was I mean it worked because the receivers were getting separation right away whether it was by Odell Beckham Jr. beating cornerback off the line of scrimmage which he did several times because the Texans wide uh, cornerbacks aren't that great in the first place they can't guard Odell one-on-one nobody really can guard him one-on-one or whether it's Shermer scheming it up so he had a really good game they in the third quarter a little bit there the Giants sort of faded but you have to like what you saw from the offense. And really, it's in two out of three games, schematically. In the opener against Jacksonville, there were plays there to be made. Eli just didn't make enough plays. In this game, he made all of the plays. So it was a combination of probably opponent, probably the lesser of all the defenses they faced this year, 
uh, better quarterback play and maybe even better schemes and play calls. So you put it all together and you finally had a pretty good performance. Even though they hit a lull in the third quarter, they gave up some sacks, they got into some uh, long yardage situations, but overall a fairly promising effort. And now they go and they play the New Orleans Saints, a Saints team, a defense that has not fared well this year. Right? I mean, what, are they, what have they allowed? 90-plus points in three games, the Saints? So this is an opportunity for the Giants' offense to now build off that. And if they could somehow get to 2-2 two and two by beating the Saints, the game is at MetLife Stadium. You know, they're in fine shape. Not bad. I think overall, we're still looking at probably a middle-of-the-pack team. I mean, the, the Texans aren't a world beater. Uh, so... You can't make too much of it. You know, Andy Reid used to say when I was covering Eagles, it's never as good as it looks, and it's never as bad as it looks. It's usually somewhere in between. So, uh, you know, don't, you can't get too excited about a win, even though you should be excited. At least they got a win that they desperately needed. But you should automatically think, oh, this team is going to really make a run now. Uh, there's still some things to be concerned about. Let's stick to the positives, though, and then we'll get to some of the bad in a little bit. But, Let's stick to the positives and the quick throws, the moving the pocket, and something that was also brought up by Eli and I think it was Sterling Shepard after the game was that Pat Shermer kind of simplified the playbook. He, he kind of narrowed it down a little bit for this game. And you could tell the results were better. As a, you know, That was the end result is – he made things easier, didn't overburden guys with stuff, and all of a sudden they played significantly better. So I think that's something to keep an eye on here. And at least he's making that adjustment, right? And you like the fact that Pat Shermer is making that adjustment. And he's not just going to go and bang his head against the wall all the time. You saw different formations. You saw... Uh, Jet sweeps to Odell, try, just trying different things, moving Eli Manning on bootlegs out of the pocket. That's a real big Pat Shermer thing, and I think we should expect to see more of it. Look, Eli's not good on the run. That's not his strength. But the Giants are going to have to move the pocket. You can't just sit back there and have success in the NFL, especially with an immobile quarterback. So they're going to have to move the pocket a little bit. They're going to have to have him on rolling out left, right, just be a little bit more unpredictable than they had been in the past. So these are all things that you like. And he did it with a new right tackle, Chad Wheeler. Okay? Now everybody got all excited because Chad Wheeler got put in for the benched Eric Flowers, right? That era is over. Finally, that experiment almost four years in is over. Now Wheeler had his trouble in pass protection, but what he did bring was he's a was a he's a did better in the run game than Eric Flowers does. And I know that was supposed to be Flowers' strength, but I've just never seen it. You don't see those blocks where he just smashes people and buries them into the ground. You saw some of those from Chad Wheeler. So he was a he was an asset in the run game at right tackle. Now I'm gonna say this the rhetoric and the storyline would certainly be different if that was Eric Flowers because he did give up three sacks. And to be fair, is if Eric Flowers was at right tackle and gave up three sacks, nobody would care what he did in the run game. They'd be smashing him for his inability to pass protect. 
So it's still a problem for the Giants, and it's something they're going to have to keep an eye on moving forward. Granted, Chad Wheeler faced J.J. Watt. We all know what J.J. Watt is. Eight tackles, three tackles for a loss, three sacks. Just an absolute monster. So Chad Wheeler certainly had his problems there, but what I did like, the one positive you saw was that his run blocking was solid and effective. He seemed to know his assignments, and when he had the opportunity, he buried guys. Check my Instagram. You'll see at least one play where he just came over. He helped uh, Omame on a combo block on the run and just pummeled his guy into the ground and pancaked him and kept him on the ground. Omame then got to work to the second level. Will Hernandez pulled from the left from the left side, and all of a sudden, the Giants had a solid game, a gain on the play, not game. And it, was, it wasn't even Saquon on that play because he was out at the time with a banged-up knee. But Saquon Barkley, also impressive. They lined him up. The biggest play in the game, in my eyes, uh, that and the Sterling Shepard touchdown that iced it right after, a few plays later. But third and two, short-yarded situation. The Giants go empty back. There's like a little over two minutes left. And they put Saquon out wide. I mean, everybody saw it, right? And he goes one-on-one against the linebacker, beats him at the line, even has to come back and jump up and catch the ball. But the fact that they can do that, and if Saquon has that ability, is what makes him special. And my uh, 80 catch prediction is looking pretty good because he got another five this week. So what's he at now? 21 through three games. So he's on pace for over 100 still. Obviously not going to keep that up. But still, that's what makes Saquon Barkley special. Odell Beckham had a nice big game run after the catch. You have to like also what you've seen from James Betcher's defense, okay? They're not great. They don't have a big pass rusher right now. But they've scrapped through three games, okay? Allowed 62 points. So just the 20, 21 points a game, okay? Now, I know they haven't played the best offenses, but still, I give James Betcher, the Giants' defensive coordinator, credit that he's been able to scrap through these three games Without Olivier Vernon, the hope is that he could possibly be back this week. We'll have to see how he does in practice. But the fact that they've been able to scratch through these three games and he's been able to sort of scheme pressure. Uh, you, like They don't send a ton of – they haven't sent a ridiculous amount of blitzes, right, because they played some three pretty run-heavy teams. And Texas not so much, but the first two. So his sack percentage is probably da- – uh, blitz percentage is probably down from what it was in Arizona. But – the Giants, even when they send four, it's usually not just their front four. There's always a guy coming from a different place, and a guy dropping back. I saw a play where uh, uh, Tomlinson, Dalvin Tomlinson, I almost called him Ladanian Tomlinson. He doesn't quite have Ladanian Tomlinson speed. Where he sort of dropped back into coverage. You see guys, Landon Collins coming, Curtis Riley coming, different guys coming from different places. And it did enough where... Deshaun Watson was off his game, especially in that first half. And you, there's a the Giants put out a clip of audio of players and stuff, and you hear Betcher saying he didn't know what's coming. He doesn't know what's coming at him right now. You guys are coming from all over the place, and that's what he was telling his players. And it's true, and he's done a really good job with that. Uh, Kerry Wynn on the defensive line, tremendous game. Damon Harrison, just a one-man run stuffer. Some of the plays he was making, he's just dominating in that middle. You can't run against him. So these were all positives with the Giants team. Now, we we need to be concerned about is, all right, the defense still gave up a bunch of big plays. 
especially in that second half. They don't, they, they can't really get a consistent pass rush. Just you know, they don't have those guys. Uh, their cornerback depth is a little discouraging. If they had a second more or half a second more, point two seconds more, or, uh, Deshaun Watson had that little extra time, or there was a couple more big plays that he could even hit too, right? But the Texans, by the way, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven plays of 20 or more yards. All passes. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, seven. That's a ton of big pass plays. So how is this Giants defense now going to hold up against the New Orleans Saints, who we said are averaging allowing over 30 points a game? But guess what? They're also scoring over 30 points a game. So this will be the real test for that defense at home against a really good offense. Let's see what they bring to the table. The offensive line also still, I know the, the pass, they were better in the run blocking. The pass protection is still somewhat questionable. What happens when that first target, when that first read is not open for Eli? They allowed four more sacks in this game. The pressure, as I mentioned before, wasn't completely different. But what happens when they can't beat guys off the line of scrimmage? First of all, the Texans, if I were them, and if I'm anyone playing against the Giants, wouldn't you just rush for and play and sit back in a zone? Why are you going to play a lot of man against this Giants team? Seemed like a big mistake. Also, now really zone reads, especially with the quarterback keeping the ball, if you saw the problems that the Giants were having in the first two games, really makes you scratch your head. Like, what is going on there in Houston? So those answers those the answers to those questions I still are not really we don't really know at this point. They still exist. Also the Giants return game, right? Uh they signed Stacy Coley last week. He's in, he ends up back there returning punts and even a kick during this game. He was in for uh Kalen Clay who was a surprise inactive and stayed home with an injury or a last minute injury that kind of popped up the but I guess it lingered from the week before. But anyway, the Giants' return game right now is not very does not look very dangerous. Let's just say that. Okay, uh, first punt return for Stacy Coley, and he muffs the ball and it ends up on the ground. Luckily, they recovered. Kick return, he gets back there, tries to run all the way across the field. I don't even know if he got past the ten. It was right around the ten, so not overly promising on the Giants' return game. And at one point, did they just say? Darn it. Our only way to be successful here is to throw Sterling Shepard, uh, Odell Beckham back for punts, and maybe Saquon Barkley back for kickoffs. Have we reached that point? I wouldn't do it consistently. I, I wouldn't want to put those guys in jeopardy on a regular basis. But occasionally when they need a big play, they might need to do it because right now those guys just aren't getting the job done. So the return game, it seems minor at this point, but it's something you're going to have to get a play or two from there at some point this season. And how are the Giants going to do it? They they have, they don't start with plus field position very often. You know? They're not they haven't created a lot of turnovers. I think what do they have uh they did two the other day, so they have three on the season, so an average of one a game. And the two uh, carry win strip and the Alec Ogletree interception which was a nice play by the way. I think uh Watson underthrew him a little bit, but still, nice play. Turned his head, jumped, caught the pass. Nice interception. 
big play in the game. Both those turnovers. But they're both deep in the Giants' territory. So it's not like they're getting plus field position there. They haven't gotten plus field position very often at all between their defense's sort of bend but don't break demeanor and the idea that they're not really explosive in the return game. So that's going to have to – that'll come back to bite them long term if it doesn't change. So with that, let's go to the next part of this episode where I'm going to get straight into your questions with a little Giants after dark. On to the next one. Ah, yes. It's that time of the show where I go deep into my Twitter and email and answer all your questions about the New York Giants and really anything. It's called Giants After Dark. And I'm going to start off with question number one from Corey O'Donnell because he emailed me. I love when people email questions. I appreciate them. I appreciate all your questions. But when you reach out in specific via email or uh, DM or whatever, it's easier to see, and I'm going to do my best to answer it. So number, question number one. Teams all last year in Dallas this year have played cover two to much success against the Giants. With tight end Evan Ingram likely out for a few weeks, how do you see Shermer overcoming his absence? He's a big weapon they will be missing down the seam. Yes, that is true. They will be missing Evan Ingram down the seam. But what they're going to need to do, especially for a lot of teams playing in the cover two, is you're going to have to run the ball on them if they do. Now, Dallas, I think that was a misconception. Sterling Shepard said they did it, a uh, bunch of cover two. But it turned out to be they, they didn't really just sit back there. Odell said it also. But they didn't really just sit back there and play cover two the whole time. That wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, so they haven't seen it as much this year. The Giants are in a lot of different formations. And really what Pat Shermer's offense does is they do a lot of underneath crossing routes at different levels. So those underneath passes are there to be made. And then you'll have space for the run after the catch. If those two safeties, if none of them are coming down, and you could either run the ball and do those short, quick hitters or crossing patterns across the middle, that'll create spaces for them to run. And if you give Odell space to run, I think those could turn into some big plays. So I expect a lot of that. Now, Corey also adds at the bottom, big fan of the pod, which I appreciate. Look forward to the unveiling of the Eric Flowers story. Yeah, I know. You're not the only one. And I get that from a lot of people. And I really did. I thought long and hard. Up until about like 20 minutes before I'm taping this, I thought long and hard about commemorating Eric Flowers' benching with the story, the Eric Flowers story. But because I'm not in the studio and I want to save it to really make it the, the, the headline of the show of that episode of whenever that podcast is going to be, I decided against it for right now. But trust me. I know you guys are out there. I know you want to hear it. And you know what? I'm interested in I'm, I want to tell it because I, I've never really told anybody about this publicly. I mean, I've told people, like friends and stuff that have people I meet the story before. But, uh, yeah, and this way so everyone knows ex- exactly how it went down and, you know, what it was what it was over and et cetera, et cetera. So we'll save that for another day. But while we're on that subject of Eric Flowers, Matthew – Tolchin at Matty Tolch asks, what happens now with Flowers? Think he plays again for the Giants. I will make this prediction. I think Eric Flowers probably ends up starting at least one more game this year. 
Yep, that's right. Eric Flowers, he will stay on the bench for now. But I would not say it's out of the realm of possibilities that Eric Flowers ends up back as a starter for the Giants at some point again this season. Look, if anything happens to Nate Solder or Chad Wheeler and they have to miss a game, Flowers is back in. They don't have any other tackles on the active roster. They signed the guy a couple weeks ago. He's on the practice squad. Uh, Brian, I forget what's his last name. Drawing a blank. But, uh, he's from, the, he played with the Lions most recently. Brian Mahalik, I believe it was. And so he's another option. But Eric Flowers is still on the roster. He's still a tackle. He's really fairly equitable to Chad Wheeler. I don't think there's a huge difference there. So my guess is that there'll be another time this year where he'll probably even be starting. So hope that doesn't scare you too much. Question number three. The captain at the captain at the underscore captain 66 says, hi, any word on snacks? I haven't seen anything, so I'm assuming he's okay. But he looked like he was crying on the sideline. Yeah, there was everybody said that it looked like he uh, was in a lot of pain on the sideline or something was going on on the sideline there when they panned him with the camera. But Pat Shermer seems to think that everything, you know, it's it's nothing more than your usual wear and tear. Like he, he said, the only in, real injury to come out of that game was Evan Ingram. And the other ones, everyone else was kind of all right. Now, maybe he might sit out some practice time or whatever this week. But all indications are that Damon Harrison, who was just absolutely dominant in that game, by the way. I mean, he had like, I think he led the Giants in tackles. Okay, so when your defensive tackle, who is not playing every snap, yeah, he did, seven tackles, okay? He's not playing every snap because it's more of a run stuffer than anything else, is leading your team in tackles. He played, let's see, 35 of 68 snaps, right? So pretty close to 70, to 50%. Okay, he's 51. He only played half the snaps, and he led your team in tackles. That just shows you the impact that he's having on the game. He's making a tackle. He had seven tackles and 35 snaps. He's making a tackle one out of every five plays. From a nose tackle spot. I mean, are you kidding me? Facing double teams sometimes too. I mean, it's just impressive. You have to, they came into the game, the Texans is the leading rushing team in the league. And what did Lamar Miller had 10 carries for 10 yards? I mean, that is shutting down the run. 10 carries for 10 yards. I mean, you, you serious? Okay. Next question. Right at Supreme Rain 06 says, how many wins until you drop this Sam Darnold take? And this is what I really don't understand from people is, is it really that hard to understand this concept? Is the Sam Darnold take isn't about, first of all, the Giants got one win. All right. You're going to start puffing out your chest, but this, the Sam Darnold thing or taking a quarterback or, Trading down because you don't think the rest of the roster is good enough has nothing to do with how many games they would have won this year with Sam Darnold or whoever they drafted, Josh Rosen, whatever you want to say. It's about the long-term future of the team. And unless you think this is a Super Bowl team, which maybe Supreme Reign 06 does, maybe he thinks they're a serious contender and they can win a Super Bowl with the roster they have now. But to me, it's a flawed approach because – 
and I picked this at the beginning of the year, I think they're going to be a middling team, and they're going to be okay, not terrible. They'll win seven or eight games, right? And then where do you go from there? Then you go, we're going to have to run run another another season back with Eli? And then what? You want to run another season back with Eli, you're not good enough to win a Super Bowl unless you really, you know, add a lot of play, a bunch of players around him, then you're going to invest in a quarterback in the first round. It's just the direction of the franchise still just does not make sense to me. And it's not going to matter if the Giants win four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, even ten games. Unless they're a serious Super Bowl contender, to me, the direction that they took in this offseason was flawed and just completely off base. And the idea to take a running back at number two, and get me wrong, I think Saquon is an awesome player. But in terms of positional value, a running back, when you're in the situation they're in, with no quarterback of the future, it's just that's it's a tough sell for me. And I, I'm probably never going to buy in unless they win that. Unless they're, I wouldn't say they have to win a Super Bowl. If they could even be a, a real, someone I think is going to be a real contender. They have a lot of holes on their roster, don't they? I mean, the the secondary, do you trust it as a whole? The uh, offensive line, do you trust it to hold up long-term? The return game we mentioned before, the quarterback at 37 years, 38 years old, can he be consistently successful behind an offensive line where he's going to be under pressure? These are all things that they have to be concerned about moving forward. And to me, it's more about that than specific players or how that player is doing. And also, the idea that you're going to make any judgment on what Sam Darnold, any of these quarterbacks are, seems silly because remember what Eli Manning looked at as like as a rookie. I mean, that's what most quarterbacks look like as a rookie. So it's a growing a growing process. And that's also part of this equation is the Giants are going to have to get a new quarterback at some point, and then that quarterback's going to have to go through a growth process as well. It no, he's not going to come in and be the best and be a, a Super Bowl contending quarterback and a star in one year. It just doesn't happen very often, if at all. Peyton Manning took his lumps. Eli Manning took his lumps. Uh, you name the quarterback, and they pretty much take their lumps early in their career. Carson Wentz took his lumps two, a couple of years ago. Then he was an MVP in his second year. So there's a growth process to it. I, I would not, I'm not making an evaluation on any of these quarterbacks after three games. Now maybe after a C, you know, 10, 16 games, you could, you'll, you'll see where they're going for their future. Like you could see enough positive for them to say this guy's going to be good. But it doesn't mean what he does in his rookie year. He has to throw for 30 and 30 touchdowns and 10 interceptions because I, I just don't, there's, there's too much of a learning curve. For an NFL quarterback. So, all right, Eric, next question. Eric Manny, Manny of the Year, says, Likelihood Giants finally score over 30 against the shoddy Saints defense. Well, the Saints are giving up 31 points a game. So, on average, the Giants should be able to get over 30. It says they should score 30, right? But, look, again, my uh, the consistency of this offense, are they going to be able to consistently move the ball? Or are they a big play offense that's going to be up and down, back and forth? So if I had to bet it on or against it, I'd say I'm betting against them scoring 30 right now. Would I be surprised if they did it? Mm, still a little bit at this point, even against the Saints defense. Because the Saints defense, Cam Jordan's a good player. 
They're still going to get after that quarterback. That will, at times, limit the Giants' offense and not allow them to sustain enough consistent offense to score 30 points in a game right now. But the way they could do it is if they make a big defensive special teams play. Like if they made one big defensive special teams play where a turnover turned into points last week, even if it was a field goal, they would have hit that number. So that's how it's going to probably have to happen. Okay. At Teddy, no, Teddy RX, at RL underscore Crandon says, I know Wheeler as a whole was serviceable, but my biggest takeaway was he seems to work better as a team with Omame as opposed to Flowers. What are your thoughts? I think there's something to that. Is he, look, with offensive line, a lot of times when they're working together, it's about staying on the same level. And what that means is you kind of want guys to be shoulder to shoulder, right? So this way, it allows Omame then to be able to help. And it allows, if it, let's say the, the tackle gets beat, it allows the guard to help, which in this case is Omame. And when they do stunts and twists, which you saw the Giants have major problems with, if Flowers is cheating outside, and this is he did it even more last year, not as much this year, even though you still see him doing a little bit. He's so worried about be, get beating off the edge that he's almost cheating to cut to cut off that edge. But then they run the the stunts and the twist, and the guard and the tackle are so far away from each other, like two to three yards apart from each other that it's oftentimes hard for them to pick it up. So I do think a little bit it does affect Omame. Now, he wasn't great the other day either, but he certainly was better. And when the Giants run the ball is when you see where he could do what he does best. He's a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So your answer to your question is yes, a little bit. I think he's a, being with Wheeler does help him a little bit. But there were also times... Where Wheeler got knocked back so quickly by Watt that they were on different levels. And one time he, Omame tried to help him, but they, they were so far away from each other, Omame and, and Wheeler, that he just wasn't able to get there in time and help on Watt. And some people think that that, that one probably went on Omame, that sack. I still think that that one went on Wheeler. And so if you think about it, he allowed three sacks. What would people be saying if that was Eric Flowers that it happened to? Right? So, last question, a bit, we'll build off that. At David Rockaway23 says, Will Wheeler start this week? And my answer to, my answer to that is yes. I still think he, he did enough, especially in the run game, to earn himself another week as a giant starting right tackle, which will keep Eric Flowers on the bench, probably much to the liking of most Giants fans. And with that, on to the next one. All right, it's time for Jordan on the Beat, where I take you inside what it's like to be the beat reporter for ESPN for the New York Giants. And some of the funny, interesting, and often disturbing things that come along with this job. Now, I told you, I thought long and hard about going with the flower story here, but I want to save that and for, for a better day. But So in the meantime, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little, a little look into what Pat Shermer is like, right? This these are all relationships. This is a relationship business. It's all about building and maintaining relationships with people. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to. And the relationship goes up and down. And you have uh, disagreements or arguments or you're upset with people. But look, that's part of the job, right? But anyway, that's not what this is about. This is about just 
learning, getting to know Pat Shermer a little bit. And you, you see at the press conferences, he doesn't tell you a lot. He's a little quiet in that regard. He's not going to, never going to criticize one of his players at all. He barely, isn't even going to say that the guy needs to play better, really. Keeps all that stuff kind of close to the vest. And that's the way he's going to play it. That's fine. But you do sense and you get a little feel for his, he's got a real dry sense of humor. You know, he said at one press conference earlier this year, he said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not funny. You know, but he is funny in a way. Got a real dry sense of humor, quiet, uh, says something sneakily and then just sits there with a straight face. So you see it from Pat. So let me just say, so I, part of my job is to, tape the arrivals when they come into the stadium for day, on, on, uh, game days. So the first week one, Shermer is coming up and, you know, says hello. Let's just shake my hand. He says, hi, Pat. I was like, huh? He thought he was calling me Pat. He, he knows the difference, but he, he accidentally called me Pat, like I'm Pat Leonard. All right, you, you heard I'm we talked about Pat in the last podcast, if you didn't hear it. You know, friendly with him. He's a friend of mine. And he, he works hard and is respected that he, he was giving me crap because he said I, I did not really give him uh, a full backing in that in that last uh, podcast when I mentioned him. But anyway, so he says, oh, hey, Pat. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sherman says that to me. I'm like, hey, that's insulting. Uh, you don't want the last person I want to be called around here is, is Pat Leonard. I'm just joking around. So anyway, he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, hey, Jordan. So I see him this week. Again, we're doing the, you know, I'm taping the arrivals. And I say hi to Pat Shermer. We shake hands. And he goes, hey, you know what? I almost called you Pat again. Or I was going to call you. I was going to call you Pat. Basically just joking around, saying he would do it for fun. So now... Every time he sees me, in a way, I'm I'm thinking, is he really going to call me Pat? Like, do I do I really want to be called Pat? I don't know. I don't know if around the Giants, especially these last few years, if that's if that's exactly a compliment. Plus, I'm way better looking than Pat Leonard. Don't ever anyone tell me differently. Don't let Pat tell you differently. Way better looking, more athletic. Better golfer, uh, sharper, wittier, less gray, you name it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> definitely more gray. That, that's definitely one I would, I, I mean, that's, that's a landslide far and away. The golf part, definitely better than him. Uh, that'll be a future story too. Uh, we're going to have a golf co- competition at one of these, uh, away games, uh, with myself, Pat Leonard, and uh, Matt Lombardo, who works for uh, NJ Advanced Media. Pat, of course, works for the Daily News. So uh, I apparently need – I thought I needed to give them both strokes and uh, because we just said about what we shoot. So I thought I'd have to give Matt a few and then Pat probably like six or seven, something like that. So Pat willingly said he'd take it. And Matt got all insulted. And so he wants to play me straight up. So even though I probably shoot better than him, he wants he wants he wants to take me on straight up. So that'll be probably a future Jordan on the beat where I give you the breakdown about how I whoop both their asses. Okay, so we'll get to that later. In the meantime, the Giants play the Saints this Sunday, 
425, I believe it is. These start times are weird, you know. It used to be like 4, 430, 4.15. Now it's 425. Like, who knows? 4 something. Okay, it's the 4 o'clock game. Still call it the 4 o'clock game. I don't care what time it is exactly. They're playing in the 4 o'clock game against the New Orleans Saints. A team that's supposed to be really good this year. And matter of fact, I picked them I picked them to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's how good I thought they were. But their defense early this season has looked like a dumpster fire. 31 points a game through three weeks. Right? It's not like they play these powerhouse offenses. Although Atlanta's offense is pretty good. But, I mean, they got just ripped apart by what, uh, was it New Orleans? I mean, uh, sorry, Tampa Bay in week one. Uh, eked by the Browns in week two. But I still, they have Drew Brees. They have a consistent offense. I like the Saints in this one. I still think the Giants' offense will be a little too stop and start to hang with Drew Brees and the Saints. And how are the Giants, short in a secondary, going to cover the likes of Michael Thomas, who, by the way, is a stud. Just an absolute stud. I mean, he's a star that most people don't know is a star yet. Uh, ben Watson, as a tight end, this does a lot of damage. Uh, Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. I just think those two guys in particular, Watson and Kamara, are going to give the Giants problems. They are not built to cover quality running backs and tight ends in the middle of the field. Between their safeties and their linebackers, just not their strength of this team. So this is their first real big test, and I, I think it's going to be problematic. Now, I see them scoring some points. They'll probably get in the mid-20s. Odell will make some plays. Saquon will make some plays. Eli will make some plays. And, you know, they'll be in the game. But, in the end, too much Saints. Game ends with a Cameron Jordan sack. And I would expect the Saints to say, look, we're just going to put Cameron Jordan over the Giants' right tackle, in this case, Chad Wheeler, and let him go all game. And he'll wreak havoc, too. Another good pass rusher. And nowadays, you could stick them all on that right tackle if you want. This will be the fourth straight week for the Giants that the right tackle is probably facing the other team's best defensive player. So this idea of left-right tackle is just further proof. It's gone nowadays. Just throw it out the window. I really don't think that the only difference is that it protects the blind side of the quarterback. Aside from that, they're equally important positions. So Cam Jordan is going to wreak havoc. The Giants defense, I don't think they're going to hold up great against this first big passing offense that they're going to face. Especially if Eli Apple's not back. That's a big one this week. They need that second cornerback to go alongside Janaris Jenkins, who hasn't been great this year either. You know, he gives up some big plays, so I think the Saints the Saints are going to have some success. The Giants, can they match it? My opinion, no. Still a little too inconsistent. They'll still be up and down. Eli will still be under pressure. It'll be hard for him to make plays at times. And the Saints win 27-24. to 24. So tight game. They don't actually, I'm picking the Giants against the spread then, because the spread right now is the Giants as three and a half point underdogs at home to the Saints. And with that, that's the end of this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. As always, 
You can catch us on iTunes, uh, any podcast or Google Play. And give us some, uh, make sure you rate this podcast. And hopefully you like it. And if you have any suggestions, feel free to pass them along. I'm always interested in hearing people's input of ways that we can make things better. And questions, I want as many questions as possible. Keep sending them. Make sure you use the hashtag GiantsAfterDark on Twitter. Otherwise, it's too hard for me to find them. My timeline is a mess these days. You can ask me anything. It could be football-related. It could be non-football-related. The only thing is, and one person I saw in the questions before was asking me, why do you hate pulling the team? I'm not going to sit here and bash any colleagues or talk about other people that I work with, uh, work alongside or in the same vicinity as, and talk about going to what they do professionally. So uh, that part of it is maybe the only, some of the only things that are off limit. Otherwise, hit me up, Instagram, Twitter, email, uh, Facebook, you name it. I'm looking out for your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm Jordan Ronan. See you next time.